Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name's Javen. I'm an international online health and fitness coach. And if you want to increase your confidence, improve your self-development and have a bulletproof mindset, this is the podcast for you. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe depending on whatever podcast app you are using. Today's episode is going to be amazing. I can't wait to get into it. Let's go. Welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. My name is Jav. I'm an online health and fitness coach. This is episode one. And today we've got a very, very special guest. She has her own podcast called Gen Teach. She's a GCSE history teacher, an A-level politics teacher. So she knows what she's talking about. Hey, Marley, give you a little clap. I hope you like that intro. I've been been practicing for a long time. Love it. It was beautiful. Thank you. I'm glad you could... uh, come and join me on my first episode. Yeah, I'm so privileged. Thank you. This is episode one. So yeah, it's been, um, when I was thinking about doing this, like, honestly, you was the first one I had on my mind. I did say that. I did say to you, but even when I was thinking about it, yeah, I was like, we need to do a com- have a conversation, talk about kids, confidence, self-development, so on and so forth. And I think you're the perfect person because you work you work with children, you know, yeah. and I think that when it comes to developing confidence and self-development and also how you feel about yourself, that is formed a lot in the early stages. So, yeah, first of all, how are you? Firstly, actually, thank you for that lovely intro and everything you just said. As I said, like, I'm completely privileged to be the first guest on your beautiful podcast. So thank you. Eternally grateful. And I'm all right. I'm just happy it's Easter holiday. I am so glad that there's some time <laughs> away. But in saying that, I've actually been back to school every day since Tuesday. Really? Because I've been using their sewing machine. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, like, it's been quite peaceful. Is sewing like a new thing that you've started doing? Or? Just, well, I always knew how to sew because my auntie taught me when they used to stay at hers okay. um, when I was younger. Yeah. But then there's just a couple of things I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like practice put some things together yeah. in my spare time. Okay, so yeah. Cool. All right, cool. So this podcast is all going to be about self-development, how people develop confidence, mindset, and it's going to be wrapped in with a little bit of health and fitness because that's what I do. So the reason I really wanted to get you involved was to talk about kids mm. developing self-esteem and self-confidence in the school system how that happens, the parent interaction, the teacher's interaction, so on and so forth. But before we get to that, I want to talk about you specifically. Okay. And how your experience in school kind of shaped you. And I want to talk both primary and secondary school and how that kind of journey helped you become who you are now. Because, you know, if I look on your social media or so on and so forth, you're quite expressive. You also have a page specifically for your teaching. But, you know, you're very, you're quite open. I can see, you know, I can see elements of your personality. So let's talk about primary school first. If you could like describe your primary school experience, how would you describe it? Discombobulating. Okay. That's a big word. Yeah, it's my favourite word at the moment as well. (laughs) I say that because I actually feel in a weird way, primary is where I went through most of like my identity crisis, if that makes sense. Okay. I don't know, like when it came to the education part of primary, that was fine, like that was okay. But 
I always felt some sort of conflict between who I was and what was expected of me mm. from different groups of people. So for example, like my closest friends were always the people who weren't particularly that popular and people wouldn't really like go to, to like speak to. But I would also really get on with those who were popular. So I kind of moved between these lines. And I think that has had a positive impact in my like adult life and as a teenager, because I don't find it difficult to be in certain spaces with different people. But it is confusing because I suppose I never really knew where I stood. I was never comfortable with where I stood. Do you know what I mean? So it's quite hard for me to explain now, and I don't want to spend like half an hour trying to unpack it. But one thing, because I go to therapy, one thing that my therapist said to me is, you see identity as fixed. That's why you struggle so much with certain things that happen, because I see it as like you have to be one way. You have to have one type of like, you know, way of being. And I think that is a massive impact from my socialization in primary school because mm. it was always like, you're the weird kid or, you know, it just, I, I never felt fixed. And yeah. I felt like that was problematic to me because then in secondary school, it was like, I was noticing every single person who I met was like, oh, you're so weird all the time. Right. And that was strange for me because I was like, but how am I meant to be? So in my head, I think it, I processed it in a way. It was like, I'm weird. So therefore like, I don't know. So there's something about my identity that isn't acceptable. Yeah. And that is definitely like my experience of primary school. So again, yeah. like education wasn't a big problem. I mean, I wish I learned maths better, but at the same time. That's everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that my biggest hang up from primary is to do with like my identity and socialization. Right. So then yeah. with that being said, then if you could look back on yourself back then, would you describe yourself as a confident kid in primary school? It depends what you're asking me to do. Okay. Because if it was something where I felt comfortable with, so gymnastics or like English, I was comfortable with, I'd be very confident. I'd be happy to do it. But then if it was something where I was like insecure, don't. Like I'd be right. very in my shell about it. Yeah. And I think that still persists again to this day. Okay. Yeah. So. So what about from a social aspect, interacting with other kids? Mm. Was you someone, obviously you mentioned that, that sometimes you would get an identity crisis because, you know, you was around the cool kids, but you'd also be around kids that weren't necessarily yeah. the, the go-to people. Did that affect kind of how you interacted with those two groups? Do you know what? Not really, because actually in some way, when it came to like my bestest friends, like I said, the ones in the Yeah, you're close, you're close people. Yeah, I was like completely comfortable with them. So there was no reason for me to kind of, you know, like play with how I was around them. But I think in some ways I would act in a way that I thought I was expected to when I was around like the more popular kids. Like, yeah. Elements of my personality that I'd be showing with my other bestest friends wouldn't necessarily come out when I'm with all those other people because right. I'd be like, oh, I've got to act this certain way. Right. So, so you, I'm telling you my life story. Do you, feel, <laughs> do you feel like you couldn't always be yourself then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because if I was myself, then that's vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I'd be putting myself out there for someone to like point out something that they don't like about me or yeah. that they think is weird or strange. Yeah. And because I found I didn't like that, I tried to avoid that as much as possible. But actually, it's really counterproductive. 100%. Okay, cool. So then in elements where you felt insecure or you didn't feel so confident about doing something, 
obviously you mentioned certain subjects like like maybe you was good at PE or gymnastics mm. and writing, but not maths. How did you feel like, and this is about primary school specifically, how did you feel like the teachers and the staff, whether it's teaching assistants, whatever, like how did they approach that? Did they identify that? Were you able, did you feel like you was able to go to them? Were they, were they a good support system or not really? My teachers were old school. <laughs> so I was actually thinking of this the other day. They were so old school. Like they were all in their 60s pretty much. Yeah. Like nearing retirement. Obviously had their proper old way of teaching. And whilst they were really supportive and you felt safe in their classrooms because they were stern, when it came to like that well-being stuff, wasn't it wasn't, there. yeah, it wasn't like, they were nurturing in an old school maternal way, but not in a, oh, okay, I see this in this child yeah. and let's see how much we can bring out of it. Yeah, They were just doing their job as yeah. educators rather yeah. than like the whole picture. And that's not to say that they did a bad job because like I remember them very fondly, yeah. but when it came to boosting confidence and stuff, they weren't, like that wasn't their main interest. Yeah. Okay. That's mm. interesting. All right. Cool. That's interesting. I think that like when I even think about my primary school experience, like I don't really remember much of it because I, I was just playing sports so much. But I think one thing you said that I feel like my thing is on the total opposite end about being with the cool kids, right? Or the more popular kids mm. is that I think I went the other way, whereas I just chilled with the popular kids and that was it. Like, yeah. I don't think I mingled too much. I think I started to mingle more when I got to secondary school and I felt like I was a little bit more open, but I was still like, just my people, that's it. I didn't really mingle much. So that leads me to where we're going to take this secondary school. So that transition, like for me, I would, like when I went from primary school to secondary school, I, that was probably like the biggest shift in terms of how I was perceiving myself, because in primary school, from like year four, year five, year six, I'm playing sports. I'm always with the older older kids. You know, you're like a big fish in a small pond. That's how I felt. You get to secondary school, you're a small fish in a big pond mm -hmm. and you're like, bloody hell, all these kids are bigger than me. The older boys, obviously, you know what the boys are like. They wanna, you know, fight, blah, blah, blah. So, for me, I think my first year, I enjoyed it because I found friends really quickly. And I'm always, I've always been a confident person. But I think after a while, I didn't really enjoy it. And I hated, I hate, I didn't really like my school either. So like for me, I found going to secondary school enjoyable, but it was the biggest transition. It was quite a difficult transition. How did you find going to secondary school, that process, like your whole uh, secondary school experience? There is so much to unpack. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm going to say my memories of secondary school from year seven to year 11 was like being in a jungle. <laughs> and obviously we went to the same secondary school. So you know what I'm talking about. I don't really know where to start, but I definitely think that my inner child persisted from primary school to secondary school. I think a lot of my issues were from primary still. Right. So whatever was manifesting when I was in my teenage years was coming from the insecurities I felt when I was younger, but I didn't realise that. So yeah, like when it comes to secondary school, again, my biggest 
influence with how I felt about myself, my identity was the people who I was hanging around with. Mm. And that's when there was a bit of a difference. Like I started in year seven, I had like a few friends. I can't really remember who my closest friends were. But then as I got older into year eight, year nine, whatever, I would be in those circles that were like considered more popular. And that was something different for me because obviously, as I was saying before, like I was with the other kids who were considered as like, they weren't outcasts, but you know, they weren't the go-to people. Right. So yeah, it was quite, I think for me, I felt, I don't want to say proud of myself, but it was different when I was like, oh, I've been able to kind of navigate my, my way through the space and yeah. learn new things about myself and feel comfortable in places where I wouldn't normally feel comfortable. But I think when it comes to secondary school, a lot of things happened outside of those walls. Do you know what I mean? Right. So when I think about myself then, it's not necessarily what happened at school. It's what happened Around when it. I was outside. And you know what? That's It's funny you yeah. say that because just as you were saying that, I was even having thoughts that like when I went to secondary school, I felt like I was doing a lot more outside of school yeah. I think, and I think that was, that's related to being, you know, you're traveling to school on your own. You get on a bus with all your friends, other schools, getting on the bus, meeting other people from other schools. I think that that plays a big part because like when you're going primary school, you kind of just, maybe, you know, when you get to year three, year four, you might start making your own way to school or whatever, but you don't really mingle with other, I never really mingled with primary school kids from other school, apart from if it was sports, sports related. But obviously secondary school, you're on a bus with everybody, you know, people are, you know, it's just like a different environment, especially where we're from. So how would you say things outside of school kind of affected you in school, if you know what I mean? Badly. <laughs> like rock bottom. Really? Yeah. I was a very naive child where I was kind of safe and cushy in my small community, as you were saying, like in primary school, in a way, going out into the big, bad secondary school world, again, as you said, like where we come from, I was not ready and I'm an only child. So uh-huh. yeah, I didn't have siblings to go before me to tell me, oh, watch out for these type of people or whatever else. So when a few things happen, I'm trying to think, how much do I tell you? when I was 13 like something bad happened to me which was a lot at the time I mean now I could deal with it but at the time I couldn't deal with it so it meant that I was pretty much in a state of depression so I would spend so much time like walking around school listening to my music and not talking to anyone sleeping in lessons not engaging with anything just crying everything else like to the point where my friends would like asked me to go to the house and they brought their older cousin to like speak to me because they were like that concerned. But I think one thing that I am now really frustrated about is that was really visible and teachers didn't pick up on it. Yeah. And I know it's going to be like something that we speak about later on. But when I think about my experience in secondary school, I think about that. So it's quite a like off answer, but I just remember for a long, long time feeling just dire, like horrible. So how did that affect your confidence at the time? So bad. Like there was no self-worth. Yeah. No self-confidence. And it meant that I got myself into like really vulnerable and risky situations because like I just didn't see myself as worthy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it meant that 
when it came to me working hard towards the end goal that obviously I wanted to leave school with good GCSEs and whatever else that wasn't a priority anymore because no one was kind of like nurturing that yeah yeah I say that actually but I was in um, a girls group that was really really good but still I needed more from like the whole community rather than a select few people yeah so then you kind of touched on the, the teachers the teachers thing do you feel like so sometimes I think that there is, the teachers have a duty of care, right? So as a teacher yourself, if you identify something, are you required to like raise it to someone above you? Like, is there certain things? So what would you be looking for in a kid who may have gone through something that you went through? Like what, what is that? What do you look for? Change of behavior. Okay. Like the moment that child comes in and they are giving you attitude or they're withdrawn, something, which is unlike themselves, that's when the alarm bells start ringing. I remember in my Manchester school, there was the sweetest angel. Oh my God, she was just so lovely from year seven up until one day in year eight. She just went left, like completely. And from that moment, I was like, something might be going on here. And even though it was just a slight, like I roll, whatever else, there, but you can't, you can't ignore that. Yeah. Because that child could be being groomed. They could be having problems at home with whatever else. Like, you can't just think, oh, they're growing up. So even if it's like the, the most subtle change in them, you need to keep them back and investigate or tell someone else that you're concerned so that yeah. everyone kind of swarms around that child. Just the slightest thing. So you feel like that, in your specific case, that could have been something that was missed or like overseen. Yeah. I just don't think they cared enough. Right. I think that like in the school that we went to, there were just so many children. Yeah. And because my background was seemingly cushy, like, you know, my mom had, well, has quite a middle-class job and whatever else. Like, I think the teachers just assumed that I was all right and that I'll get on. But then also it makes me wonder, was there like racial ties behind it? Right. Because if that was one of the other children who were not black, would the teachers have kind of clocked on thicker? Would right. they have cared for? But I don't know. That's yeah. now that's other thinking in yeah. twenty twenty one, isn't yeah. it? But I do think that they just didn't care enough. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that's interesting. I feel like in terms of the primary school experience compared to the secondary school experience, a lot of outside influences affected how you felt in secondary school. In terms of, I mean, outside of the actual school itself. Yeah, I think. The biggest change came in the middle of year 10. That is when I started to kind of like completely change my self-worth because I don't know if you remember that train wreck of a fight that we had. When it's like the whole school had, yeah. like all the girls had a fight, right? Yeah. And I remember I was holding back, I won't say a name, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. After that, I was like, okay, now let me actually put my head down. Yeah. And that's when I started to see more positive attention come from teachers. And yeah. that's when like specific people really kind of nurtured me in the right way which I'm forever grateful for so do you feel like and it's just popped in my mind now that like there is a little bit of not lack of care but you know kids in inner city London going to secondary schools like the ones that we went to I can say for me I felt like I hated school right Mm -hmm. not because of anything socially I just didn't like going to school I didn't like being in a classroom I didn't like being talked to I just hated it yeah but what I did feel or what I thought of just now is that like there is a little bit of there's no 
mentorship. Like there's no, mm. there's no mentors. And I mean, we got teachers, but half of them are not relatable. Half of them don't actually come from the areas that we are, we kind of grew up in. So I, I felt for me, I never had like someone that would be looking out for me specifically or looking out for the group of boys that I was around. And, you know, there's people that went to our school that's gone to prison, blah, blah, blah. You know, they've been involved in some pretty negative stuff, but they didn't have any, they didn't have anyone. And I think that the school system obviously can't do everything, right? Can't It can't care for everything. But I do think that there is, sometimes I think that there's a bit of an element where if you're not suffering with something in terms of like behavioral problems, mm. you kind of don't really get that one-to-one care. Cause obviously the kids that have certain behavioral problems, they'll get put in like a special sort of special needs class or whatever that they get. But if you're like a good kid, but you still got issues yourself, you kind of don't, you don't really get anything. Like you, you kind of just got to, you get on it, get on with it yourself. So do you feel like schools are missing mentors and that sort of element or is it changed now since when, since you was in school? I would say yes. The one reservation I have is obviously like I've only taught in two schools, one in right. Manchester, one in London. Yeah. And the one where I'm at now is like super progressive. When okay. it comes so the staff body is young. Yeah. And not to say that everyone comes from inner city London because we definitely don't. But then I think amongst more staff members than usual in another educational setting, like they are bothered about getting it right for our children. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, we're not going to be perfect. There's going to be mistakes in the way. But generally, people are interested in nurturing our children based on their background, but not in a patronizing way, but yeah. in the most helpful. But when I think about other comprehensive schools, I'm like, oh my, I actually (laughs) don't even know where to start. And I think one of the really key areas where that's obvious is the curriculum design. So I had a look at our school's new history curriculum. And with all of this, all of the discussion around like anti-racism, Black Lives Matter, everything else, I was of the kind of impression that every single school was doing their best to make sure they were diversifying their curriculum, right? Mm. Especially if you're in an area with a high amount of children who are Black, Asian, other minority ethnic yeah, groups, right? of course. So tell me why you're doing chronological history, which is basically like British history from the medieval times all the way up to present. Whilst obviously like that has its value, it has its place, rather than learning about Thomas Beckett and who killed him and why, like... I don't even know who that is. Exactly. <laughs> like, that has no relevance in one day. Why don't you mix up and have a look to see what's happening in the African continent in the 12th century? You know what I'm saying? But that's when I know, when you see chronological history or when you see, like, basic signs of a very whitewashed Eurocentric, like, pro-empire curriculum, and I say pro-empire with, like, inverted comments, comments, sorry. That's when I kind of think, right, how far do your educators have your, ch- your children's best interests at heart. Right. Because if you can't even do the work to represent your children in the curriculum that they will be going through from year seven to year 11, and maybe even sixth form, then how far do you even care about where they come from? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. You don't care because if you did, you think, how do I show my children fair and representative history so that I empower them in the future to make informed decisions about the pathways they take, the conversations yeah. they have, the politics that they start to support, you know, you don't. And I think it, I think that also plays a role in even developing 
the white kids in a sense because oh, yeah. then they get to kind of see, all right, like we're all on a level playing field here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think when it comes to racism and changing people's opinions and stuff, it, it it's, for me, I think it starts with the youth, right? I'm quite an apathetic person. I'm someone that I don't believe racism is ever going to end, right? Yeah. I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I'm negative in that, that aspect. I'm someone, I just think racism is always going to be here. Yeah. However, if you are going to, if we're going to make strides, it starts with the kids, right? Because they're the next, they're the ones that are going to be ruling the world for, for years to come. So if they get a full spectrum in terms of their history that they're taught, then they get a better understanding of the history of black people, Asian people, yeah. so on and so forth. And they can form better opinions. So cool. So we kind of touched on, you know, your sort of experience in school, how it's built you, your confidence, or how it's knocked your confidence in certain aspects. So as a teacher now, and you're kind of on the other side, you know, you teach history, you teach politics. How do you deal with kids? Obviously you deal with GCSE and A-level students, so they're quite older. Mm. So how is, sorry, firstly, have there been situations where you've identified kids who are maybe lacking in self-esteem, lacking in confidence. You don't, you can get in as much detail as you want. And if you have, how have you addressed that? Like, how do you approach that? What is that process like? Have you had to do that? You know, kind of touch on that for me. I've had whole class loads. Okay. Like a, whole, <laughs> a whole class of children who don't have confidence. And I suppose when you... When you hear, oh, that child doesn't have confidence, you expect them to be quite timid mm. and like withdrawn and shy. But actually, when I think about the kids who have lacked confidence, it's those who are loud, disruptive in some ways, you know, will present with the most behaviour management issues. Because they don't like that confidence, they don't want to be seen as vulnerable. Mm. So, they so it's like up, a mask. Yeah, exactly. So... Oh, <laughs> when I think back to one particular class and I have so much love for them like to this day. They were my first ever GCSE class. They smelt blood from the minute I walked into that classroom. They knew that I was like fresh off the teacher training. But I think that when it came to history, a lot of them lacked confidence because of how, let's say, like technical it is. And we got through it. It was okay. But it made it really difficult to teach whole lessons for, let's say, two years, definitely, because there was a there was a lack of confidence in, let's say, well, let's say a lack of resilience. I think that's like one of the same thing, right? Where you have to like knuckle down so much, where you have to think in such a critical way, when that isn't something that comes naturally to you. And there's other people who kind of empathize with that in a quiet way. We're just going to like bounce off of each other. So the lack of confidence grows, but you mask it with camaraderie. Right. And you mask so the it bad behaviour is just spreading. <laughs> oh, when I tell you like, I haven't lost, yeah, I've lost it a couple, <laughs> a couple of times where you're just like, what am I actually going to do? With yeah. Them? But then I suppose it's just about sticking around. Yeah. Just being there. Yeah. And challenging as much as possible even if like every single time you ask them to stay behind and you feel like you've just been chatting so much rubbish and they haven't listened it's going to be the same next lesson just that kind of consistency of oh I know what's going to happen now like I know I have to do this because Mrs said blah 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 that gets you a long way and that confidence eventually builds right. and even if like they don't leave with a grade four or five 
they still left with like a sense of well hopefully I don't know if anyone watched this I hope they've left with like a sense of let's say achievement or community right where um, they felt they've built and they've been way. supported right yeah yeah cool and I think that's critical I think that's really important because mm. even when I think to secondary school and I think of teachers who I think were supportive one person I don't really want to Mr. Barnett. I'm going oh, to just say Mr. Best. Barnett, right? <laughs> I think anybody who was in our school would say yeah. he was supportive. Yeah. Even if you didn't like him, you can't lie. The reason you didn't like him was because he was on your case because mm-hmm. he was so supportive. And I think as you get older, you realise teachers that, that were like that, you actually start to value them more maybe when you're not around them anymore because they were like so on your case in a sense. So with that then, and you know, you've identified kids that may have not been as confident, they were lacking self-esteem, so that it's masked with bad behaviour. Mm. How, in your experience now as a teacher, how long, how many years have you been doing that now? This is now my fourth year. Okay, wow. So with that then, how does um the parents, how do parents kind of play a role in that? What have you seen in your kind of experience? How can parents be a positive or a negative influence on that? I think in some way, the bottom line is, if a child wants to misbehave, yeah, they will misbehave. Regardless. Regardless. <laughs> like, there's a couple parents even to say, I have them on speed dial. Like, I will just be able to call them up quick. We could be having conversations, like, twice a week, every week. Like, that's just how it will be. Yeah. And the behaviour might still, still persist. But I think, again, it comes with that kind of attention and support that that child knows they're getting, that they kind of thrive off of that communication. Yeah. In a weird way, I don't think they realise that. But... Definitely supportive parents are a massive key. Like yeah. They are foundational. Like when parents are not interested and when they enable their children to slack and when they enable their children to like stay off school and not do their homework and whatever it is. Uh, it, it's noticeable. Like, it's noticeable. There's a difference. Yeah. Like you're fighting a losing battle. Almost yeah. Because there's nothing you can do. You've exhausted all of your like tools. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the last point of call well, kind of, is like talking to the parents. And if they're just like, oh, I don't care. I can't get him out of bed. I can't make her do this, blah, blah, blah. What else have you got? But you know what? In a way, right? Do you ever feel like, is there ever a point where your kind of influence becomes greater than the parent? And I say that because when I think about a day, like the amount of time I spent with teachers, mm. I could argue that, well, I'm not, maybe not with one teacher for more than I am with my mum or my dad. But... You know, if you're at school from eight to four yeah. and maybe you go after school club or maybe you do some sort of extracurricular activity, mm. I only see my mum from maybe five, six and I'm in bed by nine, ten yeah. and I'm up in the morning at seven. I actually don't really spend any time with my mum apart from the weekends. So really, I'm with my teachers more than I'm with my mum. So do you ever feel like you ever get your opinion and your influence ever becomes as powerful as a parent or nah, that's that doesn't happen? I think so. But also, I think we're missing a very important part of the equation, which is friends. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So, like, when I think back to what you said is completely true. But again, when I think back to being a teenager, my influence on my friends. Right. And then it's not until later on and you leave school, you're like, oh, that teacher said this to me or did this for me. And that had a massive impact. You know what I mean? Mm. At first, it's like your social circles and what's... Especially now they've got Snapchat and they've got like... The social media is TikTok. mad now. It's, it's different. Yeah. A lot. I mean, we had... What do we have? Blackberry. Blackberry Bebo. Bebo. For a little bit. Yeah. 
And then Facebook kind of came in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then it was Insta. Yeah. But then they've got everything. Yeah. Everything now. So a lot of their kind of influences do come from within themselves. Right. But in saying that, you've actually raised a really good point. I don't think I've actually thought of deeply before, but I do think that students come to you for what they know you're not what you're good at, but they can trust you with yeah. or your strong points. So I think there are many instances and lessons and everything that have seriously impacted and do seriously impact the children to this day. Yeah. Like, and I don't know how far they'd be able to like identify that themselves. And I, I can't say for myself because that needs to be a conversation that we have together yeah. like, as um teacher to, to students. But I think so. Teachers are a massive influence. Yeah. So then in terms of like when a child, like the influence that you have on a kid, right? And their confidence and how they perform academically. So before, when I knew I was going to have you on, obviously I did a bunch of research, a little bit of research, just trying <laughs> to find some stats and stuff. And one of the studies that I did read mentioned about, there's like a clear correlation between kids who exhibit confidence usually have higher grades. But one of the things they couldn't link was whether it was the grades that influenced the confidence or whether it was the confidence that influenced the grades. So what was the causation factor, basically? Mm. From your experience, what would you say? I want to quickly jump in and say, for me, I was never someone who lacked confidence, right? I don't know why, but as a kid, I think it was more related to because I played sports, but I never ever felt like I couldn't do something. And I still feel like that to this day. Yeah. Like right now, even though, you know, I never achieved my dream of becoming a professional footballer, I still play football, semi-pro. In my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? If I really dedicated myself, I could probably still go pro. Like yeah. that's my mindset. So I've just always been in, in school. I've never felt like I can't do this. I can't do that. Whether it's art, music, like I've always had that. Obviously yeah. not everyone's like that. So for me, I can say my grades never influenced my confidence. I think my confidence just influenced my grades. Do you, what would you say you've seen? Because obviously you're in a school system, so you see it more than me. What do you think? I think it depends on what criteria we're judging confidence by. Because right. confidence isn't just one thing. Right. It's a multifaceted thing, right? Right. So I could say I've got children who are so confident, but they're not confident with academics, not confident with writing. Right. So I can't judge because... Okay. They might be confident, which I know for a fact, year 11 girls are confident with playing netball, they're sick. But then I know that like sometimes confidence with, with writing essays, that lacks. Mm. So I suppose now with confidence, I think what the scientists should probably do is kind of like map out what areas of confidence they mean. Mm. So if it is a thing where it's like academic confidence, then of course the grades will impact on that. Because if you're seeing you're getting level five and above, all the time, but then we're like, right, I can do this. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. But if you're seeing you're getting ones and twos, you're not going to be confident academically. Yeah. But then in other things, like, I don't know, like social circles and whatever else you are, but we can't say confidence is just one thing. Right. Do you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. So it's quite, yeah. I, I understand why I see what the hypothesis was, but. Okay, so that that leads me to another thing that I read before having you on here. Yeah. So also I had to do my research. <laughs> there was so you know in school, right? In secondary school, you get put in sets. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna. So for me, I remember when I moved schools and I came to Sejil, right? And I came to the, to a new school. 
obviously I had good grades from my other school, mm. but I was bad, badly behaved. I've gone to this school, put me in the school, blah, blah, blah. I'm in top set for everything, maths, English, but they put me in like bottom set for physics or something like that, one science class. And I remember, do you remember, I'm saying everybody's name, but you remember Mr. Boyd? <laughs> so, so I remember he did a physics class and I've gone in the class and obviously the school said it was right next to my house, right? So I know most of the kids, even though I just got there, I know most of the kids from primary school. So I'm seeing some of the kids in there and I'm thinking, hold on. <laughs> this, why, am I, why am I here? These kids are not, if we're in sets, I'm not supposed to be with these kids. Yeah. That could be arrogance. That was probably my bit of my confidence there. Like I'm not supposed to be in there with these kids. So I remember I was in the class and I wasn't doing no work. I said to him, I'm not supposed to be here. Gone to Mr. Barnett about five times. Like I'm in the wrong class, you know, yeah. you got me in the bottom set. You know, I'm a, I'm an A star kid. Like, what are you doing? I had to fight to uh-huh. get put in the, in the top, in the top set because when they were saying to me that you're in the third set, I didn't realize that you can only get a C. So there's like foundation. I didn't know all of that stuff. I'm just thinking, oh, everybody's got a chance to get A. They're saying you can only get a C. Yeah. So I'm in my mind, I'm like, no, nah, yeah, this ain't right. Like this is already, something's wrong. So like, how do you, so what I read, sorry, I went on a tangent there, but what I read was that basically putting kids in sets actually ruins their confidence because they feel like they can't actually achieve and this is particularly for the kids in the lower sets, they feel like they can't achieve what the other kids are doing. I would say yes, but I'd also say it's down to intrinsic value as well, because the same thing happened to me with English in year 11, right? Do you remember Miss Bramble? Not really, but... She was so funny, but she was meant to be our English teacher from like year 10. She got sick, so couldn't come in. So from year seven up until year 11, I had not had a proper English teacher. Right. So... Obviously, my grades were not going to be good because I've just been like messing about in English, not really learning much. But I knew that English was one of my strong points. So I got put in a foundation class in year 11 and I was like, there's no way. I'm leaving school with a C in English. Yeah. So again, I went to the head of English and I was like, I'm in the wrong class, blah, blah, blah. I had to cry in the end. Like I had to actually like <laughs> shed tears. And I don't know if you remember Miss Noisy. She was like proper stern. You I'm wouldn't... so bad at it. Oh, I remember a lot of people with me, but even she was like, there, there. But like, outside in the, in the playground, because the excuse was there's not enough space and there definitely was enough space. Yeah. So upset. Yeah. In the end, I didn't finish my English exam. I tell a story all the time, but I didn't finish my English exam. And I got one mark off at A-star. So like I went to the head of English. I was like, look what I've got. Yeah. He was like, oh, imagine if... um." I kept you in that secret class and I was like yeah imagine yeah and I felt so proud of myself that time right but I think for me when I was in that situation and they weren't moving me out of that class I was just like there is no way that I'm just gonna sit here and take this I worked so hard right it pushed you yeah it pushed you because when you know you're worth in something when you're sure of that regardless of the situation that someone else puts you puts you in you're gonna go for it you're gonna be like no i'm proving you wrong it's only when you you go into that situation with a lack of confidence that it will spoil your confidence so how do you think now as a teacher when you see it the kids still get put in sets sometimes it depends what you're how do you so from an external point of view outside looking in Mm. does it still do you think that, that it still affects kids from a teaching perspective i don't mind sets Okay. Because for me, it makes it easier for me to actually like deliver a better lesson. Is that because of the behaviour? 
<laughs> you can, I mean, because if I'm being honest, when I when I remember, like when you you know that when you're going into set three with the bad yeah, kids, it's yeah. like the teacher can't do no work. The teacher, no. how can the teacher do work? Everybody's doing, everybody's messing about. Yeah. No one's listening. Like it's just not possible. Well, all of my high stakes classes, like GCSE and stuff, have been bottom set. Okay. Like at the moment, I teach mixed ability, so it's like fine. But in my old school, bottom set. So you. You was dealing with a lot. Yeah, so I, having a top set for me is a privilege. I'm like, what have I done to deserve this? Yeah. But I actually think that lots of other teachers will probably disagree with me, but it makes it easier for you to be like, okay, I know that I'm trying to get everyone up to a grade four. Mm. So this is what we're going to do today. We're just going to practice knowledge ret- retrieval and that'll be fine. Or we're just going to practice paragraphs and that'll be fine. Whereas when you've got a mixed ability set, whilst it's like, good for fostering discussions like I've had some wicked discussions with my year 11 class yeah when it comes to like teaching those specific skills it can be really difficult so what you end up doing really unless you've got some really resilient students in your class sometimes you just teach to the middle and that doesn't necessarily do what you need to do for those who can get the sevens to nines because you're also trying at the same time to get the ones and twos up to threes and fours or fours and fives sorry so Obviously, like, you can do it. It's not impossible, otherwise it wouldn't exist. Yeah. But personally, I just think it makes things difficult. Whereas if I know I had a class full of, like, my sevens and nines, we could be doing crazy stuff. And they wouldn't complain because you wouldn't have one side of the class being like, okay, I'm just going to write you three paragraphs, and the other side saying, why are you trying to make me write sentences on my own? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can deliver. You can deliver more, which then in turn makes them actually more confident anyway. And they feel like a, they feel better about doing the work. That's it. But I think yeah. with that, again, though, it does depend because a top set will always be like, we're top set. So I'm just going to smash it. Anything my teacher tells me to do, I'm going to do because it means I'm capable because I'm yeah. top set. Yeah. But then with the bottom set, the impact is I'm bottom set. So who gives the point? a shit? Yeah. yeah. yeah like, it's but true. Yeah. yeah. So, so it depends. It's kind of mixed, right? It's yeah. Tricky, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I can imagine that. I can't, I, like, just like we said before, right? When you get put in a bottom set, because we know we shouldn't be there, yeah. our mentality is like, I need to, I'm, this ain't right. I need to get out of this. Like, yeah. Whereas other kids, they get put in a bottom set. I, I, like kids who are supposed to be in the bottom set get put in a bottom set mm. and they're probably just a bit like, well, I'm here, innit? I'm, exactly. Why would I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to do anything. So I think that definitely has a bit of a effect on a kid's confidence. But then I kind of double back a little bit and go, in towards how the parents can affect that because obviously I read, done my research again and I read a stat that said something like 86% of teachers noticed a correlation between a child's academic ability based on the parent's input. So parents who were more, had more of an input in their child's learning, those kids were more likely to do well. Is that something that you saw? Yeah. And even from me, like I can say when I think about some of the kids that were in some of the bottom sets, right, that I've known and I realised that, you know, they come from dysfunctional families. And some of these people I didn't even know until I got older and left school that some of their home situations just were crazy. And like even when I think about myself, right, like my mum, I think my mum, she just had such confidence in me that... Yeah. She never really bothered me about school. And my dad, my dad, I think the same, like 
he will call me and that, but we never really spoke about school. They just trust me to get on with it, mm-hmm. which for me, I prefer that because I'm someone who likes freedom, right? I don't want to be, but do you notice that? Like kids who their parents are very heavily involved in their education, like they do better? Definitely. Yeah. Can I also um, make a comment on what we were talking about before? Yeah. When it comes to bottom sets and any class, ultimately it comes down to classroom culture. So that's just like what the teacher does to make sure that they're safe and yeah. everyone's happy. But we'll come back to that later. But yes, a very important part of the puzzle is that parental engagement. And I think one of the key things any parent can do is make sure that the environment is set up for your child. Mm. So it's really hard it's really, really hard to make a comment on this sometimes because you just know sometimes people don't have the living situation to have that space or to create that. They don't have the time. Maybe the parents work nights and whatever else. There are so many things against, you know, that progression, that engagement. Yeah. But I think one of the things is, okay, I know that between the hours of, I don't know, six and eight, maybe we can just designate like this one room to them so they can do their homework. And then maybe we can have dinner at like regular time so that there's a routine there. Maybe I can create a revision timetable for my child that goes in the fridge and I make sure that I hold them accountable to meeting all of that and I check as well. Again, if a parent works nights, it's really difficult. But then like maybe finding creative ways to have someone else check in on that Mm. child as well. Also just having those positive nurturing conversations where you genuinely like just check in. How was your day? Yeah. You know, actually was, talk about yeah, school. Yeah. What what was your favorite subject today? What was really yeah. annoying you today? What can we do to like sort it out? You know what? As you say that, I'm having flashbacks now, right? Yeah. So obviously, as a kid, I, I played for Crystal Palace, right? So we would train Tuesdays and Thursdays, and my brother would pick me up sometimes because he's twelve years old, twelve years older than me. Mm-hmm. So we got, got quite a big age gap, and sometimes when we're driving back, we wouldn't even talk about football he'd ask me about school. He'd be like, what'd you learn today? Yeah. And sometimes I'd turn around to him and be like, I didn't learn nothing. And he'll be like, you was in school for six hours and you didn't <laughs> learn nothing. Yeah. And now, now as an adult, I can see why he's asking me these questions, mm-hmm. isn't it? Because my mum, my mum's busy. She, she works nights. Yeah. My mum literally works nights. So what you're describing, my mum was doing that. Mm-hmm. So my mum works nights. I've got two older sisters, one older brother. My oldest, my oldest brother obviously is driving me around, helping me with football. And he would always ask me, like always ask me as well, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, nothing. Cause in my head, the reason I would always say nothing is I was smart anyway. So I didn't, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like I didn't learn nothing. I knew this already. <laughs> that was my mindset. Yeah. So he would be like, he'd be like, you know, like, what did you learn today? And then if I say nothing, he'll be like, okay, so what classes did you have today? He'll try and like mm-hmm. break it down a little Love bit. It. So like, no, what you said there is is really, really important. So, but then you mentioned about, you know, mum or dad working nights, not actually being able to, to attend to the kid to the level that is probably needed. Mm. So would you say, you know, you've worked in Manchester and London, yeah? Mm. So there's a big thing about classism, how class affects kids, so on and so forth. How much would you say that is down to the background, whether it's, you know, financial, so on and so forth, working class, middle class, so on? In terms of parental engagement? Yeah. Oh, this is a big question. Because I think there is, especially where I taught, I taught in a place called Wivenshaw, which anyone who comes from Manchester will know 
what I'm even gonna say within short like is that like a good uh, it's a place where rich area poor area it's a poor area okay it used to be known as the easiest place to get a gun okay so it's pretty yeah. rough pretty rough part of Manchester yeah which for me when I when I started I was like okay sick let's go I didn't let like, I didn't let that phase me. I was like, yeah, oh, of course. I'm anyway, yeah, so yeah, it doesn't really yeah. matter. From Southeast London, so yeah, <laughs> it's normal. Exactly. I mean, it was challenging, but still, it was like kind of like normal-ish. I think there's this perception though that when you hear working class, you then think like parents don't work hard enough, there are mm. benefits mm. like drugs, whatever else, and actually that's not the case. It's like very difficult to to say that like class is. A massive factor. And I, I think, yeah, it is. In some ways, it depends what the household actually is, like individually, because there are some working class households where the parents work extremely hard. We know that, right? So we can't say then it's a class issue because the next door neighbours might kind of not do the same as the others. That doesn't, we yeah. can't brandish people in the same brush. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So- I think it's an educational value thing and the experiences that those parents have had mm. in school. And outside of school. Yeah. So if that parent is already feeling like disenfranchised and feeling like they didn't have the best experience with school, and there's nothing outside of that experience that has like led them to believe anything else or be hopeful or faithful in the education system, then how are they going to properly support their children? Not in a way where obviously some people some people might neglect, but like where oh I've lost my my train of thought. Basically, like they're not going to particularly have the educational value to pass on to their children. Right, if they haven't yeah, if been they through haven't, it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. If they haven't been through that themselves, and if there's been nothing that shows them are actually, like, going to school and focusing and whatever else is a positive thing, then how are they going to be equipped enough to pass that on to their children? Yeah. And it doesn't just start from secondary school. Obviously, it starts from, like, early years. Yeah. You need to be reading to, reading to your children. Yeah. You need to be fostering that, like, value in them yeah. from day one so if you haven't done that and then all of a sudden school's bending your line saying they're not doing this in maths or whatever else it's harder yeah, yeah. you're not going to get anywhere and it's interesting that because like when i moved to america there was a big deal there's a big deal on kids who are like first generation graduates and stuff mm-hmm. like that and i think that i never ever thought about that because my sister went to uni both my sisters graduated uni my dad you know I don't know I don't know I think he went to uni I don't know I should ask him probably but like they all went to uni so for me you know I I never really thought about going to uni I never thought oh if I go uni like I never felt like going to uni and and doing it was something that I didn't deserve to do I wasn't worthy of doing because I had people that did it before me Mm -hmm. you know what I mean so when I went to America I remember I had a really I got I got a really close friend and he was the first in his family to go get a degree. So like, and that was a big deal. Like that's a big deal over there. And they place really, really high value on that. So yeah, that's interesting. Cool. So go on. Sorry. No, no, go. No, I was just like reflecting. And I think that I was, when you were talking, well, when I was saying the parent needs to make sure that the environment is set up for their child, like I do come from a very privileged position where my mum could do that for me. And I was going to say things like making sure there's food to eat and like breakfast. Right. My mum used to bring me breakfast in bed, which I realised is really... <laughs> like that. My mum is... does, does it now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, 
So that level you don't have to do. I think it's because she knew that I was lazy and still am lazy AF. So like needed to actually get out of bed. Yeah. But just those little things there. And what you were saying about like going to uni and all of that, for me, it was like, I'm going to be the first person to do it. Right. So I need to do it and I need to go to a Russell group. That was just like the way I was set up as well. So yeah. it does, it's all about the conditions of your family because if I had people who went before me and they were all lawyers and whatever, would I really care? I don't really know. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with And that. it is a big, it is a big thing of like nature versus nurture yeah. in the sense that like for me, I can't say 100% that if I grew up in a different environment, I would still be this super confident kid, someone who just has this crazy belief in myself. But I do think that a little bit of that is just natural to me as an yeah. individual. But I do think my environment sort of encouraged that because I had a big brother who he was super just like, he just made me believe in myself. Even though I always believe in myself, he just continued that encouragement with the things he would say, mm. whether it's football, like life, like having a big brother for me was, and the more I think about it now, was like really critical. Yeah. And I've got a nephew who's 14, right? And I think that I'm not his big brother, but I treat him like a little brother. Mm. Like I'm on his case. I'm always telling him you need to do more. And sometimes he might think it's harsh because I'm really harsh on him, mm. but I'm harsh for a reason because I know that, that support is critical. Like it's so important to have that. And it is quite interesting. So we kind of talked on it a little bit, but you would say, so you would say then that like, when it comes to class finances and just like the background of, of, of a kid, I think the statistics show that kids who come from disadvantaged backgrounds are, they're less likely to go to get their A-levels and, get their get get a university degree so on and so forth so how does a family who necessarily the parents can't always be around because they're working maybe single parent households because that's what i grew up in you know what can parents do to firstly instill confidence in in those kids and you know you know you don't have all the answers obviously mm -hmm. but you know like what 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 would you recommend like what could be done for kids that are coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, maybe similar to places like that, that we're from, like what can be done to help these kids elevate them and make them have that confidence and self-esteem and self-worth and to excel in the classroom and outside the classroom? I think this, I feel like I'm just not really giving all the answers that I wish I could, but I think this is a bigger problem than the parents. Right. Because I'm thinking like, without a doubt, white working class, especially boys, are underperforming alongside yeah, black Caribbean yeah. boys. Yeah. yeah. And that's you can't you can't disagree with that. Yeah. But when I think about all the things that would help nurture those like two groups in particular, it starts with actually like enabling the parents to do that. Right. So it's the things like worldly experiences, going outside of your area, interacting with other people. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff, the government or whatever else has been taken away. Like, yeah. So even as simple as like short start sentence where like early ages, like you're able to socialize your children, interact with other parents and whatever else, that's gone. Yeah. Having the ability to like take your children on trips up to the city center or wherever it is, maybe to London if you're from outside of London, to actually see the world around you, to gain like a different experience 
that is important and I think again I'm speaking from like a privileged position and my mum was able to do that so I knew there's so much out there to get but then I think from working with some other groups of children where they haven't really had the opportunity to see outside of that bubble what else is there to live for than what you're seeing do you know what I'm saying and if when it comes to a lot of or not a lot of like a few children they might be growing up in households that are really dysfunctional whether it's like through domestic violence or anything like that where you know families have been like dislodged you know there is trauma there yeah so how if a parent can't support their child emotionally because they're also going through trauma they're also going through something that is beyond their control then what can you do that isn't something that okay the schools the local council government essentially can enable you to like facilitate right and yeah so would you say there's just some situations that are just helpless like yeah there's not not much that can be done Mm -hmm. but it's also one of those things where like i'm talking about in the most like tragic circumstances yeah yeah of course whereas if you were just like a parent who is present can be present you might not be working or whatever you definitely need to interact and get to know your child yeah just so what what are some of like in the in practical terms Mm. for parents let's say who aren't in the worst situation what are some of like the practical steps they could do like what are some things you'd recommend like i don't know like reading every night or giving them a task to do making sure they're doing the homework like what would you say as we said starts with conversation you know get to know your child what's going on in their lives then make sure that there's food to eat and that's difficult given lots of circumstances but if you can make sure there's food to eat make sure that yeah yeah like make sure that you are encouraging them to read and for pleasure not just for homework pick up a book and find one like even if you read the first few pages of 10 books until you find the 11th one that you like read it Mm. find something interesting in it watch the news have a conversation about politics you know them things there like actually go out and experience other things in your local park like maybe pick up a tennis racket and play tennis or Go and play football. It's like those little simple things rather than just being in the house all of the time doing yeah. the same thing. Because yeah. I know that even like in my own family circles, like it's just normal to go home, go shopping, go home again, eat food, go shopping, go home again. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a, a circle of stuff. Whereas you could kind of break that out by saying, Do you know what? Let's go and do something different. Let's go to a museum, yeah. a yeah. free one. Let's go to a cafe. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's it's not like a lot. Yeah. You don't have to do a lot, but just be supportive. And most schools offer like generally there's always something on offer because I remember if I didn't go to school, I would have never went to a museum because we yeah. do museum trips. I never been to a museum outside of school really? as, un, until my adult, until I became an adult and I started going on my own. Yeah. But like if it was just me and my mum, we're not going to no museum. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not happening. And even like the school trips, like school trips were a powerful thing. I think if you remember in year eight, we did year eight camp. So just a bit of context here. Year eight camp, we basically, we went somewhere. I can't remember, but we basically did camping for a week. I can't remember where we went, (laughs) but it was a bunch of 12 year olds in a camp. They let us do whatever we wanted pretty much. And it was a wild time. But like, that was like, for me, that was like a big deal. Like it was like, it was so, socially, I think it was just so different from what I was so used to. Mm. And they just let us kind of be intense 
like in sleeping bags in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I, I would never do that. That's not something I would ever do. Mm-hmm. And I think that the financial side of things does affect kids because we had to pay to do that, right? Yeah. There's going to be kids who parents are like, I can't even afford to send you to this. Mm-hmm. So it's a structural problem. Yeah. Because, but it is, it really irks me that there are a group of children who've been able to do things like go skiing with their school. They've gone to China with their school. Mm -hmm. And then there's another group of children, much larger group, who have never even gone outside of the city limits, their borough of their school, because they haven't had the resources to. That is a structural problem. So as much as like, you know, some parents might be able to facilitate those things, some parents might have the interest, the money, whatever else. At the end of the day, like, if there are some things against you. Yeah, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's like certain things you can't do. Because even I've got a friend who never went on holiday until last year. Yeah. He's 25 and he's he never been on holiday. And in my mind, I'm not some, as a kid, I didn't go on a lot of holidays, but I went on in, I went on a holiday every yeah. now and then, a lot of year gaps in between. Well, I went on holiday and obviously because I played football, I got to travel a lot as well. I went to a lot of countries because of football. So to me, in my mind, being 25 and never going on holiday, I'm thinking, wow, yeah, like <laughs> wow, that's just mad. Yeah, like how yeah. do you do that? Like that's, to me, it's mad. One thing I want to say though, is actually two things I'd like to say. The first being as a parent, engage with the school. Mm. Right, you need to make sure you engage with the school. So that means like the smallest thing. If you see a missed call, if you see a call and you can answer it, Hello, what's going on? It could be anything from the ch- your child's broken their ankle to I just want to say they were amazing in school today. And knowing that your parent will pick up the phone and interact with your teachers and has a relationship with your teachers actually helps the child feel safer because they know that there right. is like a community There's, inside yeah, outside. Yeah. And it's better than just being like, call my mom, she's not gonna answer anyway. Or why is school calling me? Blah blah blah. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what interact, I was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interact with school. Because at the end of the day, as you said, like the children spend 8am to like four with these teachers, with these people. So it needs to be a full circle. Mm. If it's fragmented, you're just, it's just going to be hard for the child. It's going to be hard for you. It's going to be hard for the teachers. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? To interact with school. And secondly, I'm really hurt because I've got, I teach some kids who have been to more places than me. Really? Yeah. So I think it does kind of come down to what a priority is in the family as well. Yeah. Because some of them are flying out to like Japan and places. Really? Yeah, just just for jokes. But then... Never been there. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I think it does depend on like what the family sees as important because yeah. they will see travelling as important and, you know, school's just school. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about stuff kind of outside of your secondary school experience. Yeah. Obviously you went to uni. What uni did you go to? Manchester. Manchester. So I want to talk mainly about overcoming self-doubt and that building that resilience as an adult and, you know, things you faced. You don't have to talk necessarily about uni, but just your adulthood in general. You don't have to talk specifically about situations, but how have you sort of dealt with self-doubt maybe not feeling the best about yourself like how has that journey as an adult been for you if I even talk about myself briefly like I was saying before I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't believed in myself and but I think that can go two ways because you can be incredibly 
naive and a bit short-sighted because you just think that you can do everything. But I still have that in me. And I think that for me, it's just come from just playing some playing sports and just, I don't know. I think if you if you play sports and you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to be mm. as good as you could be. And that mentality has just kind of just been in everything I do. So like when I make content, when I'm coaching people, I'm just like, I try to instill that in everybody else. Yeah. Because in my mind, I believe everybody can do everything. And that's just my, how I see it. And I don't know why I can't unsee that. I just, I just see someone, I'm like, you can do it. You just have to believe you can do it. Mm. So as an adult, the only time I've really felt uncertainty is literally like a short term sort of when I'm performing, like playing, playing actual sport. Yeah. If I'm playing football and I'm not playing well, in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, like maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. But as soon as I do something good, I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm as good as I think I am. Yeah. So like, how have you as an adult sort of dealt with anything like that in terms of like self-doubt, not feeling the best about yourself, like anything like that? I think if I'm honest with you, like I'm kind of in the thick of it now. Do you right. know what I mean? Like navigating that. You still feel that now? Yeah, because I feel that I've kind of like broken up my experiences in two parts. Like the first being when... I knew I was good academically for maths. But I knew I was like good at all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was able to like go through that, go to the uni that I wanted to, whatever else. And even though I would have self-doubt, it was because people were telling me, oh, you're good at this. Like you're good at writing these essays. What you need to do is like fix your language here, make sure you're linking this argument to this one, blah, blah, blah. So I knew that I had the formula and I could do it and I had potential. And I, I was proud of the work that I was like, presenting that self-doubt wasn't that big at the mm. time because I was yeah. like it's not like I'm aiming to pass I'm aiming to exceed so it wasn't a matter of let's say I'm so rubbish I'm never gonna pass or do anything it was a matter of okay how do I get the best I possibly can how do I nurture my skills and even though like yeah I didn't get to the place where I wanted to be going to uni I still got to the uni I wanted to so I think for me, the self-doubt was, I was able to manage that because I already, as we said before, believed in myself. And that's because other people were like telling me that. Right. The negative thing now though, is with moving away from like strictly academic commitments, like university and being in like this whole wilderness of a career and having to navigate your way through actually being an adult, like 25 plus. You're, you're your own cheerleader. And I have really struggled with it. Okay. Yeah, I've really struggled because there's no one telling you, okay, you just need to do this differently. There's right. no one mentoring you. There's no one checking on you. There's no positive reinforcement. You do that yourself. So one thing that I noticed is a negative element of people being like, you can do this and you're going to get an A, blah, 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 is I am heavily reliant on external validation. Right, okay. Yeah. So now, like, the battle is with self-doubt. You know, you might be telling yourself, oh, you're not as good as this person with this. You're not as organized, which I know I'm not. Like, there's all these issues that you start to identify about yourself outside of your comfort zone, outside of what you've been prepped and nurtured to do for 18 years prior. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like, I don't need that external validation. I don't need someone back me in the back. And that's really hard because you've just, that's what you've grown on. Yeah, that's what you're used to. Yeah, to translate that, to some like a different context even though obviously my work is academic because I teach it's not quite the same because there are so many different interactions and skills and like right. commitments that you have to do yeah 
and even like with personal stuff like self-doubt with other things outside of work is popping because you're like I've never done this before right so I think it's just about being mindful of there are going to be voices in your head that are telling you that you aren't good enough yeah that you might not have had the earliest start as like this person and you compare yourself to others but I always remind myself that like everyone's journey everyone's journey is different, it's different yeah. and then like I check myself and I've even got on my screensaver now when it comes to like me self-doubting like I've put questions on it saying are you doing this because you're self-sabotaging yourself <laughs> and like are you being slow because of this? And just take your time, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because when self-doubt hits, that's when I start, like, procrastinating. That's when I start kind of, like, self-sabotaging and traumatising myself. Yeah. And one thing that I, I picked up from another podcast was, I think it was Ruby Kill, Ruby Kill who said this. She was like, is this useful? So if the task were the thinking, so, like, my self-doubt and me sitting there stewing over it and feeling sorry for myself is getting too intense, is it useful? Mm. No. X, Y, and Z, it's not useful at all. Like, so let me just stop. How am I going to manage this now? And how am I going to move on? Yeah. And I think with the self-sabotage kind of point you made, it's something I say to my clients, right? So all my clients, sometimes I'll get, I'll get a client that, you know, they miss one workout. So the system that I use, I can see when they're missing workouts, right? So if they miss a workout, I can see they got like a big red X next to their name. <laughs> and I might, if they miss one, sometimes I won't make a comment. Yeah. They miss two, I can see, I get a notification. So I'll make a comment and, and then, but sometimes I'll, I'll miss it. Cause I've got a few, I've got a decent amount of clients. So I don't, sometimes I miss it, right? So we do a weekly check-in every week we do a check-in. So on a Sunday, I'm going through the check-in on Monday and I can see they missed three workouts. They only did one workout and they'll comment. They might put something in their check-in like, oh, I missed one workout and it's just messed up my whole week. Or I had a cake and it just I just messed up my whole week with my diet. And in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, in my mind, me as a person, if I do one thing wrong, I'm going to try and correct it. That's just how I see things. And I, I also think that comes from sports, right? I just... Like when you're playing football, if I miss a shot, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait and get the next one right. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. Mm. Or if I miss a header, I'm going to make sure I get the next one. So I apply that to my training. So I always use this analogy to them. I say to them, look, if you're driving a car and you get one flat tire, are you going to stop the car, get out and slash the other three tires? You're never going to do that, right? That is true. No one ever does that. Yeah. You're never going to do that. So if you had... 10 biscuits, a Coke, and I don't know, some chips. One day, are you just going to be like, all right, I messed up one day. I'm going to eat the same thing for the next three days. Mm. No, one, one, you're allowed to have one bad day, right? Yeah. So just like you can have one flat tire. But what you would do is you turn around and try and fix that one flat tire. Same thing applies. Self-sabotage. You're not going to go and slash the other three tires. So that's kind of how I, that's what I say to my clients. And I really try and drive it home. I need to start finding another another analogy because I keep using that one. So I'm gonna find another. But it makes, but sense, it makes sense though, isn't it? it makes like sense. it makes sense because for me, I think that a lot of people they get hung up when they they don't they don't they, they get hung up when they get one thing wrong, mm. or they mess up. Maybe even even if you have a bad week, even if you look at it from a larger perspective, you have one bad week, right? There's 30, 31 or thirty days in a month. 
If I have one bad week, I've still got 23 or 24 days. One week is nothing. I can still make it up. So yeah, when you mentioned that self-sabotage, that kind of, I literally had this conversation with someone today as well. Someone that you know. So it's quite interesting that you said that. Cool. It's real. (laughs) No, it is real. It is real. So obviously Spectrum Health is all about health and fitness. I know that you work out. So how is exercise and training, how does that play a role in your life? Even like, is, is there a correlation between when training is going well and outside and how does that affect things outside of that? Um, or when training is not going well, how does that affect you? You know, like, I mean, my relationship with training is so irritating for me because I wish I was more consistent. I think for me, I really start to notice difference when I have slapped off for like two weeks. And actually, I'm really glad to hear you say about that. If you have like one week or like a one bad week, you can pick it back up because that gives me a lot of kind of like hope and faith. But I can really tell my energy levels and my mood when I haven't been exercising. Right. Because I am just the worst. It makes like, a difference, right? I'm already like all over the place anyway, but I can tell I feel my body feels a bit more like lead and I feel a little bit more irritable. I feel like I'm just giving up and being like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to have a jacket potato tonight. I'm going to have chips, as you said. Like, do you know, I give up. And then it's a bit of a slog to do that first workout, whether it's home or at the gym. We're a bit like, oh, I'm not as strong as I was two weeks ago. And I've let all these gains go, whatever else. And you don't feel like you want to do it. But then once you've done it and you've done that side, it's the best feeling. I feel like, better, innit? Yeah. yeah, I needed it. And then I'm good for like two weeks and then it happens again. But I think that's, again, something in my control. Yeah. I always blame work. Work is very demanding. I work like an hour and a half away. It takes a long time. But I definitely need to be a bit more consistent with it. Right. And I just feel better. Yeah. Mentally, I feel better physically, obviously. Like, it's just... So you would say that when you, when you are consistent, when things are mm-hmm. going well in the gym, you can feel the difference. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I, I just feel better about myself. Yeah. Like, I feel that the gym needs to be a permanent part of my life forever. Yeah. Like, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen in the next five days even, but, you know, it needs to be a part of my life. Like, yeah. I do not want to be an older person who feels like they have wasted their physicality. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It sounds really bad. But, like, I want to make sure that I use my body to the best of its ability yeah, whilst I can. For sure. Do you know what I'm sure. saying? Um, and it's just good for you mentally as well. Yeah, for sure. I would say, yeah, I definitely think that, I don't know, I, I've i had times where I didn't train at all. And although it's very rare, I do remember there was one particular moment when I was in America and we, I came home for Christmas. And usually, because in America, when you're playing college sports over there, it's quite, it's so intense. Mm. You don't really get a break. So when they when you get a Christmas break, usually I would still run or I'd still do something, right? But this one particular Christmas, I just said, I'm gonna take these whole 30 days and do nothing. Oh. I promise you, I didn't work out, didn't run, didn't do nothing. I never done that before in my life. Like yeah. I've never gone 30 days straight and not done anything. But this one time, I don't know what I was thinking. I just didn't do anything and I, I enjoyed it. Like I, I don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. But that first workout when I got back, oh my, I could have died. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I could have died. Like I could have died. It was crazy. So yeah, 
just be consistent with it. Even yeah. though it's hard, like things do get in the way, but it's just worth it. Being consistent is is the key. Honestly, yeah. consistency gets results. That's something I always say. That's something I always say because I, I, th- I think another thing is, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture, right? Where there's two guys, two cartoon characters and they're mining towards the gold and one guy's yes. mining yeah. and the gold's right there and the other guy's turning around. Yeah. And sometimes when, when you're training and you're getting in shape, right? Some people, they get disheartened if the scale wasn't showing them what they want or, mm. you know, they're not seeing what they want, but they've been doing something for like six weeks or something. And it's like, they're so close and they're so close. They almost clocked it, but they just quit. Yeah. They just quit. They're just like, all right, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop tracking my food or I'm going to stop yeah. going to the gym because they're not seeing it, but they're like, they've almost clocked it. So that's why I always tell people like, yo, don't be that guy. You're missing out on the gold. Just keep going. Definitely. Like keep going. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is just stop. And that's now I know like in my, in my life, I will never go 30 days without training. I could, I could go a week obviously yeah. and injuries happen, but I don't think I could ever go 30 days because I just think that once I stop, I'm making it so much harder for myself and I'm going to miss out on the gold. One thing, though, that I do want to say is obviously, you know, as a woman, it's difficult. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? There are certain times of the month where doing that workout that you did three weeks ago and you smashed it and you felt powerful that like you're on top of the world. It ain't happening. Yeah. You got a trainer on your cycle as yeah, a woman. Yeah, that's it. And um, I was, again, I was listening to another podcast the other day and they were speaking about like the effect of your, your cycle yeah. on exercise and knowing your body and knowing yeah. what you can and can't do, but also maximizing what you can. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's really important. So I think my relationship with training definitely corresponds to that because I feel like PMS yeah. heavy and that really impacts my motivation yeah and you know like during your luteal phase Mm. so before you're about to be due you know your body your body temperature increases so you might have more cravings you know you might not feel as strong in a workout so really what people should do or what women should do is like well firstly they should track their cycle well if they want to they should track their cycle and then you know if they know where their if they know roughly where their luteal phase is going to be you got to adjust your training to kind of make up for that Mm. in a sense where what I usually recommend is don't kill yourself in the workouts and eat more food and that that might help you feel better yeah you bump up your calories maybe 200 300 calories (laughs) and then don't try and kill yourself on the workouts do what you can yeah and that that will help you keep going instead of just saying I'm not going to train the whole week still do a little bit and you'll be you'll be good still do do what you can yeah bump up your calories 100 200 calories and you'll be good I think like yoga is a good one to do. Yeah, like anything that's going to keep you moving. I think the worst thing you can do is just do nothing. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not a woman, so I don't know what it feels like. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> I'm only going to give it's advice from what I've read. Especially only... when you've got like the quick things like wine and chocolate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's really difficult. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. All right, then. So it's been a pleasure. But before we end this... I want you to, I want to ask you about any projects, anything you're doing outside of teaching. What have you got? What are you doing? What's like, what are you pushing yourself through right now? So what I'm pushing myself through is actually doing my podcast and teach, yeah. which obviously like we've had a conversation about, it's been quite challenging with the constraints of work and stuff, Yeah. but 
what Gen Teacher's mission is, is to kind of widen the discussions that I had within teaching. There are so many salient issues like race, sexuality, um, gender, all those types of things there that educators are just sometimes too scared to talk about. Yeah. So I'm going to use sexuality again. We had a conversation in our latest episode about why it's considered as such a taboo, especially for teachers to be out and to come out. And actually, wow. like, not too long ago, I think it was this year. Yeah, definitely this year. The first known head teacher, St. Dunstan's actually in Catford, okay. came out as gay. And that wow. hit the news in 2021 yeah. that a head teacher came out as gay to his students. Like, that says a lot about how sexuality is treated yeah. within education, yeah. but then still, like, no one's having those conversations to be like, why? What yeah. do we do to tackle it? Yeah. Because people are too scared. And I feel that one massive thing that's like calling me at the moment is just challenging all of the taboo that comes with being an educator, right? Especially when it comes to like body positivity. Yeah. And what is expected of you as a teacher, like what you're expected to look like, to sound like, to be like. Mm. Even like when it comes to Love Island, for example, Teaching is like one of the only professions where you're legit barred from going on there. People say you'll never be able to teach again. And I understand, obviously, you work with children, but doctors and lawyers are all up in there all the yeah, time. That's true. Why, why can't a teacher who also has had like a similar upbringing to all these other people and whatever else, why can't they make that choice for their future just yeah. because someone else said so? Do you know what I mean? So it's like, Talking about all of that and trying to like break the the norms in education that are just so just reductive and yeah. draconian. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Okay, cool. Mm. For those of you who may be interested in listening to that, I'll put the social media and such in the description. So yeah, thank you for coming on episode one, my first guest. <laughs> hopefully we'll continue as we mean to start so yeah. this will be the best one so we need to continue having good podcast episodes i really appreciate you coming joining at this late time <laughs> i really enjoyed this conversation and i could have said more honestly. yeah like i know i feel like we could keep you could even keep going yeah like <laughs> but no i enjoyed it thank you so much i really appreciate it guys like subscribe do all those things and yeah i'm out Peace. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Spectrum of Health podcast. If you are someone who has been struggling to get in shape, you want to lose some body fat, you want to feel better about yourself, and you want to build some lean muscle mass, as well as transforming your confidence, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my social media and just ping me a message. I'll get back to you as soon as you can. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and tag me, okay? Tag me. I really appreciate all the support. Watch out for next week's episode. See you later.